0: Season is upon us, but as always, we're doing absolutely everything in our power to fill that void in your life until the Ossie Open rolls around in January. Uh, But today, on Cracked Interviews, we have a major, major, major guest for you, which we're over the moon excited to introduce. But before then, Cracked Rackets has had plenty of things going on recently, and first and foremost, I want to let you all know that we have two guests on the immediate horizon that we are extremely excited about taylor fritz and tommy paul uh, those podcasts have been recorded and are on deck for you guys in the coming weeks so stay tuned there Um, we also recently announced that former all acc and louisville standout alex gornett is joining crack rackets as a freelance writer while he continues to pursue his career on the pro tour so we're excited to have alex on Uh, to provide a new insight, a new perspective to the Cracked Rackets team. And uh, actually this week, Alex provided some advice into the uh, best ways college players should approach the holiday break in preparation of the grind of the spring season. As we all know, you know, there's a major wall from the fall season, which is very individual based and uh, leading up to the grind of the spring season. So Uh, Despite it being the offseason, we obviously have plenty of content rolling for you now with the Tennis Tribune Series as always on Fridays, Uh, the College Contenders Series this week covering USC and uh, their likelihood of of taking home the title in May, and then obviously the next Gen Series. Uh, The tireless and always relentless Alex Gruskin is also planning to highlight some year-end awards. And we have an incredible project we've been working on for you guys. Uh, It's a 30 for 30 style docu-series on the horizon, getting into the weeds of the Serena Sharapova rivalry. So this is going to be a great one and a a great project we've been doing on the side for you. So definitely stay tuned for all of that, as always, at CrackedRackets.com. Also, the Great Shot Podcast has been churning out content like those guys always, always do. Uh, the most recent episode of which featured all three of the guys in the booth. Gruskin, Fleetner, and Rothman all in the same booth doing a deep dive on Tommy Paul. And it uh, consequently resulted in Rothman even beatboxing and Gruskin freestyling. And, and it surprisingly, and this was very surprising to me specifically, uh, but it wasn't that bad. It honestly wasn't that bad. So definitely go check that out. But so in terms of Cracked Rackets news, it's been busy around here to say the least. But if you haven't already, go check out the Great Shot Podcast. Alex Gruskin, Max Rothman, and Max Fliegner have a real treat for you. Every Wednesday, go subscribe and rate their podcast on iTunes. Uh, But for now, on this edition of the Cracked Interviews, my co-host for the evening, Alex Gruskin, joins me as American tennis player and Rhode Island native Jared Donaldson joins the pod to discuss uh, reaching his career high, um, ATP ranking of 50 in the world in 2017, pros and cons of the innovative rules of the next-gen ATP Finals. We all saw how that played out um, and how slim the margins can be to make a jump in the highest levels of professional tennis, and this is, this is why I know we say it every week. But this is a can't miss, folks. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. And for now, enjoy my conversation with Jared. <laughs>
1: Again for coming on. Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, just to get the introductions out of the way, I'm Dalton Thieneman, and my Hi, co-host Dalton. tonight is uh, Alex Gruskin.
2: Alex, you how here? are you guys doing tonight? Oh, I'm not too shabby. Lions got a victory today, so I'm feeling pretty good. Did Stafford play or no? He did play, and he looked pretty good. You know, no wrist injury. Uh He, oh, he could be hitting him. forehands out there. Yeah, he looked really. Looked there we go. There. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Absolutely. So, so first
1: and foremost, how is the off season, uh you know, aka the preseason going for you so far? Yeah, no, it's going really well. Um, I feel I've been putting in a lot of, you know good hours and on the court and then um also off the court too i think i'm uh definitely working on the things that i need to be working on and you know doing a lot of things well so i'm um, uh i'm really happy with how it's going so far
2: where are you based out of this off season are you in orlando with the rest of the guys or are you in california, Cal- california. Ah, of course the west coast the appeal yes
1: exactly <laughs> Well, so we're going to go through incrementally here just from junior to, you know, more recently uh, the last few years on tour sure. for you and then expectations for 2018. So, you know, one of the things that's talked about with your upbringing and your junior career, we want to know a little more about your experience in Argentina and how that impacted your game growing up. Yeah, certainly. So, um, I mean, I, I started training Argentina when I was 14 after Eddie Hur. You know my coach, my father you know kind of realized that after I played uh, I played Eddie Hur that my game was you know tailored towards more indoor hardcore tennis you know and um, I had just turned 14 so you know we were thinking about ways where I could get more experience playing where hitting flat or harder strokes aren't as beneficial because that's kind of how I played I didn't move so well I hit the ball flat or flatter. Um, played like an indoor player you know what I mean or someone who had grown up playing a lot indoors so you know looking at different areas I knew somebody who had a couple contacts in Argentina and you know it seemed as though that was going to be great for my game you know red clay and it certainly was I mean I don't think I'd be where I am today without that experience I got in Argentina I remember the first day I went there or started practicing I had never played on court so slow in Argentina I think they're known for extremely slow clay. Um, actually, I don't think. I know that they have extremely slow clay courts there. <laughs> and it just felt like every single point, like I just wanted to end it with a drop shot. And I remember telling my dad that after my first practice because it was just hard to hit a winner. So it was one of those things where I had to, you know, improve my game basically, learn how to play with more shape and hit more spin on the ball, work the points better, learn how to move better. My nickname when I first went down there was Sharapova. I hit the ball flat and I couldn't move. Um, (laughs) That's a that's a hot take right there. That's yeah, it was a hot take. I mean, it's just what it was. You know what I mean? Um, And then slowly, you know, I worked on my I worked on my game and I tried to get faster and faster and faster. And um, and and I think eventually, you know, I pay it definitely paid dividends. can I think that now, you know, the surfaces are also similar that clay and hard court are very comparable. You know what I mean? I think the one difference is you have to learn how to move on both surfaces. And it appears at that um maybe it's easier to kind of adjust your movement to hard court than it is to adjust your movement to clay. So that and and, that, and there was a it was a learning process, you know, and I think that uh that I definitely learned a lot and, you know, I probably wouldn't be where I am today without that uh well, that um, I was gonna, that experience.
2: Sorry to cut you off. I was gonna say being an indoor tennis player myself, I'm going to blame the fact that I'm not a professional solely on, you know, the <laughs> idea that I didn't go to Argentina and train as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I, I think so. I think so. It has to be. <laughs> yeah, otherwise, being and would have been battling in Italy. Sure, you know, I, I, I got the But, uh, you know, being in Argentina, obviously very different than your native Rhode Island. Can you talk sure. about... Getting used to such a different culture, did it force you to grow up? Did it force you you know, to be outside of your comfort zone and treat it almost like a college experience?
1: So, so I actually think that that's a really good way to look at it. I think there was definitely certain things I could have maybe taken advantage more. For example, I wish I spoke better Spanish. Um, but at the time that didn't really seem important to me. You know what I mean? Like you don't think about those things when you're, I mean, maybe, maybe I did, but when I was 14, I, I was just, there for, well, the way I looked at it was I was just there to play tennis. You know, I obviously learning Spanish would be fine, but I wanted to play the best tennis I could. You know, I felt like that was why I was there. That was my job. My job wasn't really anything else. Um, I could speak well enough to get by, but I, it definitely was, you know, my main priority to play the best tennis I could and to work on my fitness and my game and so forth. But on a personal note, how was the food? Delicious? Better? Oh like, yeah, no, it was. Growing yeah, up? The, yeah, no, the steaks were definitely awesome. It, it, a Funny thing about going going out to eat. So you know, obviously down there they eat a little bit later than we do. So we, my father and I would, or my mom when she was there would walk into a restaurant at six thirty seven, and every and it would be either closed or everyone would look at us like, "What the hell are you doing here yet?" So, <laughs> <right now. laughs> but you know, it was it was fine. It was fun. Um, I know when I lived with my coach for a little bit, I definitely had some ten o'clock dinners and. uh you know, it was cool. It was a it, it, neat experience.
2: I know. I, I can imagine. And then, you know, getting into, you didn't play the most junior tournaments, but you certainly were playing futures events by the time you were mm-hmm. 16. I guess when you're yep. traveling to those places, you know, I'm looking through Venezuela, like Turkey uh, yep. looks like you played and staying a little bit with shout out to you for taking advantage of the full mask. Um, was that, you know, being in Argentina that I helped you get, ready for those tournaments being in a foreign land not sleeping in your own bed
1: yeah no I definitely think that playing you know going to Argentina kind of prepared me for life on a, on the tour more so than maybe any other experience just because I was already away from my family my friends my home for so long but I definitely think that I kind of maybe you never know exactly what, what what to expect but but you know it definitely was something that I was used to you know traveling a lot and being away from home and you know, being in countries where maybe you don't speak the language as well as you, you know, as well, I can. Well, I don't speak English that well as it is, <laughs> but, you know, where I definitely speak worse Spanish than I speak English. So, um, you know, I think it definitely helped and, pre- and prepared me and got me on the right track to kind of know that, OK, this is, you know, what I want to be doing or, you know, and this is something where I at least know a little bit alike. Sure and getting a little bit back to you know the junior side you were a finalist sure. at, at 2013 Kalamazoo and then the one yeah.
0: seed in 2014 all mm-hmm. the while you had already cracked the ATP singles top 300 at 18 years old what yeah. was your thinking at that time? Um, were you thinking, uh-huh. I mean, did the college tennis route ever cross your mind? And what were the next steps and what was that process like?
1: So, yeah, just to speak a little bit about to my junior career, I obviously didn't play the most junior. Mainly, I, I would say ITF events. I didn't play the most of that. I and mean, I did play them for a little while. But the problem that my dad and my team, my coach, always found that junior tournaments, the schedule, was it never seemed to be that great in the sense that it always felt like there was a next, it was kind of next up, you know, next event, it was COSAT. So you went to South America or where, which was already there. Then it was, you know, the Carson and Easter bowl. And that was, you know, the next week. There never really seemed like there was a good time for training. And that's one of the reasons why I started playing futures because it was a lot easier to, to schedule your, the, your, your training around or your, your tennis around because there's futures basically every week of the year. Right where, you know, okay, I have to go play, you know, junior junior this or junior that. So it just seemed like the schedule was just tougher to plan around. And that that's what, what led kind of to my decision of, uh, of playing more pro events, coupled with the fact that after I left Argentina, I stopped playing tennis for a couple months. I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. but um, But then when I came back, I had points. So it just felt that the best way for me to go about my career was to play more futures and and look I mean obviously being a great junior is 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 cool it's fun it's 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 awesome but you know the objective is not to be a great junior player you know I wanted to be a great pro player so so that's kind of how we looked at it and then you know talking about getting to the finals of Kalamazoo and and losing which actually I think in a certain respect was a blessing in disguise because I was able to play competitive matches and qualies, and get to the final round of qualies. and I think you know that was a great experience but then you know as you alluded to when the next year so 2014 I had a wild card into the main draw of the U.S. Open I felt at that point that that was just a really great time to turn pro I was playing very well I think I was close to top 300 in the pros or if I wasn't I was very close for me it was always my dream to be a professional tennis player It's something I had strived for basically my entire, you know, tennis playing career. And it's not every day that someone gets the opportunity to kind of pursue their dreams or live out their dream. You know what I mean? And I was already having a lot of success at that point in time. So, I mean, for me, there was really no two ways about it. This is what I wanted to do. And thankfully, I have, you know, very supportive parents who who realized that and saw that and allowed me to uh, to be able to live it out. So for that, you know, I'm extremely grateful.
2: I guess, yeah, I mean, look, you made the finals of Kalamazoo. You're the one season 2014. Obviously, Mm -hmm. your tennis game is in a very good place. Um, But I guess, even getting down more specifically, can you talk about when you made the decision to turn pro? You know, was it in January of uh, 2014 before you had that success? Or was it, you know, immediately after Kalamazoo, you had made the final? You know, you got that qualifying wild card into the U.S. Open. Were you comfortable, you know, making that decision to go pro right away? Um, but then, you know, in June of 2014, you win three straight futures titles. That's, you know, right around when you're turning 18. And that had to have felt, or right after you turned 18, 15, yeah. you have to feel pretty good about your decision at that
1: point. You know, you're talking about the three futures that I won. Uh, I was 17 and a half, and, you know, I ran them in a row. And at that point, I was traveling with uh, Alejandro Cohn. I was working with Taylor. Uh, Dent and um, and Alejandro Cohn and obviously Phil Dent and I was staying with Ale um, and I was saying you know oh, yeah, you know I don't know um, and he was saying you know at the time this was before I won my second future and then subsequently my third uh, and he said you know I said I don't know you know about college and I was only going to be a junior actually you know a senior excuse me coming up because there was a summer I was going to be a senior in high school and I said man you're 500 in the world. You're not going to college, you know, and I was still wasn't sure. But then after I won the futures and after I had a wild card into the U.S. Open main draw, you know, it just, it, it just felt like, you know, kind of what I said that this was my dream. It's something I'd always strive for. It's what I was playing for. And you know, it's not every day someone gets to live out their dream. So for me, that's kind of when I knew that, that that's when it was going to be the moment, you know, and um, I think I declared right after I qualified for Washington in 2014 In 2014 I believe that's when I, when uh, I yeah,
2: uh, I'm scrolling through your ICF now you did qualify for the city open
1: in 2014 that's when I when I made I, you know I think I, I declared after that and so forth so uh so yeah I mean and the rest is history and I think you know I think people sometimes people point to results and whether or not I did poorly or whether or not I did well you know people say it's based on that and for me whether or not I w- I was still I'm still three hundred now or fifty one or a thousand or whatever, I think I'm I know I made the right decision.
2: I was gonna say I was listening to your beyond the baseline conversation with I think it's John Wertheim and you know uh-huh. he hears this shameless plug, you better throw some money our way. Uh, but <laughs> you, you know, you were mentioning um you know you were playing so well in twenty fourteen and you make this decision to go pro. Uh, yeah, but can, can you talk a little bit about you know knowing that you're going to go to the futures um, that you know it's not the most glamorous type of transition onto the pro tour. Mm-hmm. How did you you know how did you reconcile that with you know the decision to go to whichever college you want? You could have gone to, I'm sure, USC, Virginia, you know, all mm-hmm. the big schools. Uh, how did that How did that decision? You know, were there any schools in specific? And then you know, what was it like your first few months in the futures?
1: so I played most of my futures when I was a junior throughout high school and I played my uh, my last event in June of 2014 you know I talked a little bit i, I if I was going to go to college I kind of wanted to go to um, to UCLA um, and my dad talked to other schools as well but I never thought about it too hard you know because I, I kind of knew that I was gonna turn pro at, after after those three futures and so forth um, I was talking to some management companies and You kind of knew that it was going to happen. And, you know, I know when I started my futures career that I always thought that those are the coolest events to me because it felt as though I was really working towards my goal rather than the junior tournament, which it just everyone, I guess, actually, you know, starts the futures and so forth. So here was I starting out my my journey and feeling like, you know, okay, this is where where I start and I have to surpass this level in order to get to where I want to be. So I think that's kind of how I looked at it. And then obviously when I got the challengers, I thought that that was even a better level. You know, at the beginning, I I was honored to play challengers because I felt that I had graduated the futures at that point.
0: It's got to be such an exciting time period in your life regardless because it's new you know you're pursuing your dream yeah totally so it's it's easy for us to look and say you know that's that's got to be a little brutal at times going through the future circuit but at the time it's got to be extremely exciting hitting new points on that level of success but before we miss it when did you incorporate the elevation (laughs) tech
2: when
1: did i uh uh, after I, i started renting in irvine so i guess two years ago now and is that like you know you hear about LeBron James doing a, a similar situation? I, I mean, do you see extreme improvement using it? You know what? I think that um I I don't I don't want to hang up whether I lose or win on it or if I train hard or don't train hard on it. But I think you know what I mean. But I think that um that any little edge, even if it's only one percent or if it helps me you know just a little bit, it's worth it, right? So that's kind of how I how I uh, look at it. Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent.
2: Yeah. I mean, exactly. Every little thing counts. I mean, whether it's that, whether it's, uh, I, I'm not sure if this is what you just said, but I was watching the uh, behind the scenes ATP video on YouTube and I noticed you got the tent for the batter, the zip up to control the, uh, the atmosphere when you're sleeping. It's all those little things, right? All building up that extra 1%. Yeah,
1: no, totally. I mean, you know, you go out and why do you go out and train hard? It's obviously it's because you want to improve, but because, you know, you want to train harder and start gaining on your competition, you know, because that's that until you reach the pinnacle, you have to gain on your competition. And the way you do that is by working really hard and trying to pick up little margins here and there. And then even when you reach the pinnacle, everyone's trying to chase you. Right. It's not just the game doesn't stop. It only it only gets more advanced, more refined and gets better. So um, you have to keep looking for ways to kind of squeeze out every little ounce to be the best you can be. Absolutely. And actually piggybacking on that, um, you know, in 2017, you hit a new career high of 50.
0: How did you progress as a person? You know, how did your disposition on the court
1: change? And from a confidence level, did did reaching those new levels of success change you in any way? Um, I remember when I first started playing tennis again, competitively and so forth, I was 1200 in the world and going to Futures in Turkey. And I said, oh, you know what, if I just get to be top 1000 I'll never ask for anything again you know what I mean and I think I got really close uh, around 1000 and then my next pro tournament after those futures or I I played two in the United States and then I when I played Kalamazoo I I I lost in the finals I got a US Open wild card and I lost in the final round with Quali. so I finished the year at around 700 after a couple more futures in the fall And then after, you know, an off season, I started playing again. I said, okay, if if I just get top 600, I'll never ask for anything again. You know, I was 500. If I get 400, I'll never ask for anything again. 400. And then it kept (laughs) subsequently going. So that's kind of, it was never like, it never happened to where I got to a number and then all of a sudden felt satisfied. You know, it was, what's the next? What's the next? I think that's kind of how, even when I was 50, you know, I wanted to be 40, 30, 20. So that's kind of how I've always looked at it is never really feeling that where I was was where I wanted
2: to be. I definitely agree. I would, I would have to ask, you know, were there certain benchmark points like venture ranking, moments that come to my mind, you know, you win the Maui Challenger at the start of 2015, uh-huh. kind of, you know, you qualify for Queen's Day here, win a couple of ACC first rounds. Then 2015, yeah. you qualify for a bunch of ACC events win a couple rounds at the US Open, actually beat David friend. I mean, it, you are looking for little fan stuff, but of course those, you know, have to help along the way.
1: For sure. Well, and here's something that I think was really good of, you know, working with any top-level player. So I remember when I won my first Challenger, I won doubles and singles of, as you said, the Maui Challenger, and I was I just turned 18, and I was really excited, you know. I because I, I you know I won a tough ter- I won a tough tournament there were good players there, and I was able to you know string a good tournament together and end up winning it and I remember i I took the red eye home I flew back to Taylor that was little Taylor and Jenny at the and Jenny at the time and um you know i I got in at what six in the morning with Alejandro. and you know so I didn't go to sleep i woke up woke up, and I was really excited and and Taylor came down and he said the first thing he said to me was You know, you played too much defense in the challengers. You got to play more offense. (laughs) And it wasn't, it was, you know, to me, I was very happy. But he was basically saying, you know, it's great you want a challenger, but that's not where you want to be, and that's not where I want you to be. And even with Jan, working with Jan Michael and, and Marty, it's the moral of the story is, you know, while winning that challenger was great, there were still things I needed to work on in my game, and and I think that's you know helpful when you have great people around you that can kind of Basically, give you give you an honest truth and not just get caught up and kind of feel like, oh, you know, you want a challenger. Now you've made it, you know, and that, that wasn't the case. So it was right back to work that day. Um, that never satisfied mentality is vital at
0: any level. Of professional tennis and professional sports but having those people that aren't yes men or just telling you whatever you want to hear that's not how you improve that's not how you get better what what are some of the biggest philosophies that you've learned from marty
1: and jan i mean have they instilled that you know never contentality or what, what are the biggest things that you've taken from them i mean you know there's so many that i've learned throughout throughout my career um and I think narrowing it down to just, to just one would be, would be difficult. And kind, cause I kind of feel as though everything you learn kind of blends together and makes who you are, right. Or, or what your mentality is. So I've taken things from Taylor. I've taken things from Phil, from Jenny, from Jen, Michael, of course, from Marty. So, I mean, just blending it all together, I think is really important because I feel as though they say a lot of the same thing, just in different ways. Right. Um, You know, I I I guess one thing that I can kind of attribute it all to is every time I go out on court. Well, there's I guess there's two things. The first and they go hand in hand. So the first thing I would say from when I was very young, regardless of the result, go out and play your game, but also play to improve. Don't sacrifice your your development or your improvement for for trying to win a match. You know, or 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 playing a certain way that won't don't develop into the future. And my first coach, Mario, was so big, so much about that. And I think that that really helped me because I've had that mentality for basically my entire career. And that's common through every high-level player I've worked with, right? From from obviously starting with Mario to Taylor, you know, Pablo, Alejandro, Jan, Jan Michael, and Marty. So that's a consistent theme for everybody, everybody I've worked with. And then I think that another one, go out there and control what you can control. You know, I think sometimes we get bogged down, and I think we get stressed out when we when we worry about things we can't control. And I think on a tennis court, there are certain things that I can control, which is my movement, my attitude, and my competitiveness, my mental toughness. You know, those things I can control. But other than that, there's really not a whole month, a whole lot else I can control. I can, you know, try to make adjustments out on the court and so forth, and try to be cerebral out there. But other than that, you know, it's really tough to to control a lot of other things. I think those are kind of the two big ones. And another one where I think I played very well this year was that was in Wimbledon. And, you know, I was sitting with Jan Michael in the locker room. And he said, you know, you know, I had mixed results on grass. And, you know, he said, you know, maybe grass isn't your favorite surface, but don't go out there and do what I did on clay, which was hate being out there and playing, try to go out there and play inspired tennis and I feel I did that at Wimbledon and I've to, i tr- I've tried to emulate that every tournament since.
2: No, I mean, I think your game looks good on a variety of surfaces. I don't know what John Michael is saying. And, you know, if you need a yes man, I'm happy to join you. <laughs> um, but in terms of, I guess, you, you know, I, I read a GQ interview with you, and by the way, that GQ photo shoot of all the next-gen American guys is a classic. And it will they don't need to be featured on Crack, crack I'll uh, Break it <laughs> out! Awesome. Yeah, but uh, in that interview, you talked about the mental grind of tennis and how uh-huh. you think it's kind of underappreciated when compared to other sports. I guess talk yeah. about the 11th month grind. You know, given that your ranking is, you know, not just now getting to the top 50 there are weeks when you're playing qualifying versus getting into a main draw right away. And even when you are, you can lose those matches first round, I guess, as you know, as you're going through your year and as you're working on your game, how much time do you devote to improving your mental uh, approach to each match? And, you know, kind of talk to us of what you do to prepare for each different scenario.
1: So, I mean, I feel, I feel actually one of the things that's difficult about the mental game is it's really hard to work on except when you're playing a match in practice it's still not the same type of pressure not the same type of you know atmosphere you know i have a a a sports psychologist i work with who you know i've worked with him for geez since i was 16 so almost five years um so i think it's really important to to have a consistent message in terms of in, in everything certainly as you said you know, tennis is is an 11th month a year sport. You know, you start January 1st and you end this year I ended November 9th or whatever. You know, so really, you only get a month and a half of of off season total, which is really which is really difficult because it it doesn't leave that much time to rest to to train um, as as much as you would like. So with that being said, you're basically competing week in week out, and I think that being mentally tough is, is, is certainly a requirement in order to be a successful tennis player. It's, it's certainly difficult, but I definitely, I think that it's something that just like anything else, you know, you work out, you train your muscle memory, you know, you train your you train your legs to get stronger you focus mentally you try to get a stronger mind it's, the brain's a muscle just like anything else you know so it can be trained but that being said i'm I'm totally a believer in in the power of positive thinking I think that that's certainly something that that I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in
2: no definitely and you know do I'll let you get a question and I promise but in terms of another part of the mental approach it's your preparation for each individual opponent and i'm just curious because when talking to noah rubin and riley atalka earlier and shameless plug go check those out on the track Interviews podcast mm-hmm. they were a lot of fun in terms of preparing for matches you know you played lucas Puy twice this year actually mm-hmm. beat him up in montreal and then you know lost that close five fetter uh at the u.s open when you're sure. preparing for, you know, maybe not a guy like that that's more well-known, but just any match in general, are you watching film beforehand? Are you getting scouting reports from friends of yours on tour? Or is it more, I'm going to go out there in the warm-up and kind of feel it out? I think a little bit of both. Um, speaking of that, that, that that match at the
1: U.S. Open, by the way, has never sat right with me. It's still, it's still haunts me. <laughs> that it's, you know, I've never had, I, I guess I, my career is still young, but I've, I've had matches where I've been really upset about but that match has just stuck with me like crazy to where I can't stop thinking about it. I think about it every day during practice. It's definitely a motivating factor, you know, because I felt so confident after the fourth set that I was going to win that match. And obviously I didn't. So it was, I wasn't shocked when I lost, but I was kind of like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. I thought for sure after the fourth set, I was playing good. I was rolling. And then he comes and plays an amazing fifth set. And I just, you know, lose, lose my serve at four all.
2: And after having two game points, so that match has never sat right with me, but um, no, I mean, having watched it, I mean, I didn't play it. So obviously, you know, a little bit better than me, uh, but it was really fun to watch. You, you know, you were playing and Lucas, please a top 20 level player. And, you, you know, you're yeah. matching him ball for ball. And you guys were both, uh, Yeah, you know, the term aggressive baseliner is probably overused. So that's what comes to mind. It was an aggressive baseline match. Um, yeah. You know, it was. I would say again, um, who am I? but one thing i noticed is you know coming forward as a volleyer it seems like that's something you're not the most comfortable with yet is that something kind of this offseason you're you know really working on and you know just moving forward because you're able to create such uh offensive opportunities for yourself on the court
1: totally totally that's you know definitely something that i've been working on i don't want to say too much giving away my offseason preparation but I, (laughs) I, i definitely you know hope that uh that, so it sounds like you're
2: throwing in the servant volley.
1: Yeah, you're uh, a servant now. I won't be I won't be throwing in the servant servant volley anytime soon. Um, but but uh I have been working on the servant volley in practice. I will not throw it out there though. I will not I will not use it in a competitive match, but um, I will be coming forward more. I like, <laughs> that's I that's like noted. That's noted. But yeah. I, I I do wanna switch gears a little bit. Sure,
0: um, and you know, with this crop of young American talent, um, obviously there's a lot of hype around you guys. Where do you see American tennis now?
1: Is it you know living up to the hype, and where is it headed in the next three to five years? That's a good question. Um, you know, obviously there's been such a great kind of, I guess, hype on this gener on this generation. But I mean, I think obviously we haven't ha- we haven't had a Grand Slam champion since Roddick and. And 03 and that obviously gets brought up a lot but I do really think we've had I mean we have a lot of great talent you know inside the top 100 I mean you know look Sam was was really close this year to, to finals of Wimbledon um you know he was right he was right there with chillish I mean a couple points here and there and you know he could be playing Federer in the finals and not the other way around so I mean obviously John's been you know top 10 and in a, in a fixture and a lot and for many, for many, many years, Jack played very well at the end of the season. Now he's top 10. And I think, you know, this year at some point we had a, maybe, you know, eight, nine, 10 guys at one point inside the top 10, All right, inside top 10, inside yeah, the top 100. No, so, nine
2: guys end of the year inside the top 100.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's up there. I think with, I don't know how many Spain and France have, but that sounds pretty close to what, to what they have. I don't know if you guys have that off the
2: top of your head, but I, but, um, I, just, I think it's a little less than Spain. And I will also point out U S men this year had their most wins since the 2011 season. So yeah, yeah I so, agree with you. Great. Season.
1: So I think that it's coming along really well. And, um, and obviously I think one of the things with, um, with, with this young group is that, um, you know, everyone just kind of looks for the, the next grand slam champion. And I don't know if, any of us will win one or if one of us will win one or if maybe even one of the one of the guys who are uh, who are perhaps a little bit I don't want to say older but more experienced, have really big breakthroughs and so forth so i think that i think that you know united states tennis is looking really good and really strong at the moment and i'm, exci- I'm excited not only to see what the young guys do but also what the what kind of the, the more experienced players do
2: especially after have after having the year that they have right no definitely and you know we talked about the Challenger circuit earlier, but guys that mm-hmm. come to mind: Bjorn Fratangelo, Mitchell Krueger, yep. you know Dennis Huddle, Tim Smicek, Sure, all guys hovering in the top 200 who you know haven't quite made that top 50 breakthrough like you have. And we can litigate whether being ranked number 50 is ranked in the top 50 or not a little later on. Um, but I guess when, when you're talking to those, uh, you know, older American guys, can do you turn to Fratangelo, Pinskych for experience or? you know, trampling his life and whatnot?
1: I definitely think when I was playing more challengers, I would. I think it's really tough, right, in terms of schedule. I know, and I hope he's okay sharing this information, but I was talking to Dennis Kudla a little bit about schedule, and he was saying how this year he wanted to stick to a more rigid schedule and not kind of chase tournaments, you know? And, and I know that, that that's something that's very appealing because it's almost tough when you're not playing well you need to play more tournaments to get to keep your ranking up and to get your ranking higher, right? And you want to play. But when you're playing well, you want to keep playing because you're playing well, right? So it's really kind of a
2: weird thing in the sense that you almost never want to stop playing. Does that kind of make sense? No, definitely. And in terms of, you know, seeking a goal, the thing that comes to mind for me, for all of you 21 and under players, is the next-gen finals in Milan, right? That was a goal of yours all year long. Certainly. And there was no real, even the the last week, I never
1: really felt like I made it, you know, obviously I didn't have the greatest end of the season, but you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to kind of plan your schedule around when you have so many tournaments that are available. And plus with the travel, you know, at the end of the year, it's very difficult to just go home for a week. Right. Cause you're in Asia and then, you know, you got to all of a sudden go fly home to California then go get ready for Europe. You know, that's kind of a tough, tough thing. Um, so I think that I think that schedule is just one of those things where it's it's kind of a very fluid situation, and I'm not sure if that's the best or the worst, but it kind of just is what it is. I feel. Talk a little bit about your experience in the Next Gen ATP Finals in Milan. Mm-hmm. I know they sure. implemented a lot of innovative changes to get maybe the the casual tennis fan
0: involved or even fans outside of the sport. But talk about that experience and and um you know how that went for you overall.
1: I think that um. That the experience was was a good one, right? I mean, obviously, I didn't I didn't perform as well as I probably I would have liked. You know, I'm not always going to play my or I'm not always going to win every match I play. That's just the truth of it, especially when you're playing against you know other great players. And there was sh- certainly no shortage of that at, in Milan. Um, but no, I thought that the tournament was, was a was an unmitigated success. I think that the, the innovation, a lot of good will come out of trying new things. Um, I think you're seeing that with Australia implementing the shot clock and so forth. And, um, and look, anything I think that uh, that brings more people into tennis is a good thing or gets more people excited about tennis is a great thing. So I really, I think that that's a, uh, that it was a complete, a complete positive for tennis.
2: Definitely agree with you. It was one of my favorite events to watch this year. Uh, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I, I have to ask, since we have you have these, what was your, you know, as it was going on the, the draw ceremony, talk us through mm-hmm. what you were thinking. Give me your first three thoughts. Where you are like, wow, these women are. Oh wait, what are they doing? Oh, oh this isn't good. Like, is <laughs> what's going on in your head? Um, I think it was, it, you know, it was
1: just an unfortunate situation that occurred. Um, I think that um, I kind of poor echo
2: what Poor execution. What, yeah,
1: I think that I kind <laughs> of echo what Chris Carmody said that the, that the execution was probably not um what they had envisioned. And I think that it just became, you know, an unfortunate circumstance. Uh, but I think no, that it
2: also—I
1: also don't think that it shouldn't take away with with the success of the next Gen tour finals in Milan. So I think, yeah, I think definitely, it's two different things, right?
2: Yeah, and you know, again, shameless plug for the Beyond the Baseline conversation. But I know going in, you were a bit hesitant about the automatic line. Balls. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. What, would it, what was it like to not have line judges out there? Did it seem like it worked? Were you seeing the ball differently? So I think I have I have I have a couple thoughts on, on that after experiencing
1: it, and I think that um, that there's two things. One is I think that it takes the human element out of tennis a little bit. I don't know what you guys think of the challenge system, but personally, I think the challenge system is the best challenge system in all of sports, and it's not even close. I don't think it's a time suck. I think it engages the fans. You know, they love it. I love the challenge when people challenge. So I think the challenge is a great thing. And I think to kind of lose that in tennis is kind of is kind of not disappointing or tough, but it's just it's just a little, a little disappointing. You know, I think it takes away from the game, the human element, and that sort of thing. With that being said, though, I think that you know, after playing with it, I think the execution was a little sloppy. It was a little slow it kind of took away from the flow of the tennis so it didn't always get shown so i think that um that you know the challenge is 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 a great thing we have in tennis and uh i know i I don't know what you guys what you guys thought of it but
2: I, i i think the challenge is you know amazing no, I like the challenge. My dream scenario was that they were going to let you guys call the lines, And like, you know, when you're playing Chorich, you guys get to make the calls and just unlimited protest to the line judge. And then <laughs> there's going to be some great, hook-in. like, you know, someone's going to call a corner shop that's inside the line out. And there's going to be an overrule. That was what I thought they were trying to do. And obviously that was not the case. Um, but I agree. There's, there's definitely something about the human element i will say one thing i happen to be a fan of is the no ad scoring and the you know up to four tiebreaker um at three all type really so you like the no well the pressure points i mean you talked about it it's all about the mental aspect right and what's more difficult
1: but there's more pressure
2: points if you play deuce no. I mean, yes and no. There's there's more pressure, but it might be, you know, there's less pressure on, the you know, deuce as opposed to add out or whatever. than there is on just, all right, deuce point, winner take all, and it makes that 30, 40 point even more valuable because if he gets back to deuce, now he has a game point as well. And I don't know, there's something about that, that a winner take off there, it's, it's enticing. Sure. Uh, I guess my thing is, I think it adds a little bit more randomness to it, right? It's a little bit,
1: there's a little bit more randomness to it. So I, I think that I also think that the no ad in my, in my opinion, I think that it kind of detracts from, from, from pressure moments because I think the most exciting games are the games that, that you have a really long deuce, you know, guys are battling it out long points. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure in those games. I think those I, per, that's me personally, you know, and one thing I'd be very interested to see is, you know, they talk about how speed up play and so forth. I wonder how 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 much that system actually sped up play, um, and and how relevant that is. Does that make sense? Because I thought going in that that a match an hour and a half would be a marathon, but there are still matches that were two hours, over two hours. So I want I wonder actually how how much that's that sped up the. Uh, that sped up the match. Obviously you're not gonna get, you know, two
2: hours, thirty minutes plus, I don't think, but I wonder how much it actually sped up play. Well you know my mean? big th- you no know, my big thing is, I mean, so yeah, all everything you said is very valid. There's there is something about the seven deuce game that makes tennis so enjoyable. Um, but you know in terms of improving the pace Uh, you know, they do this three out of five sets, but up to four. So Mm -hmm. you're still playing to 12 games, one total, you know, that's going to be... Yeah, no, that's that's, that's 100% factor. Yeah, so in terms of getting to the, you know, would you want the city open to be three out of five sets but still up to four in no ad if you're still getting you know two hours of tennis there is something to that there's also the idea that doubles has already made the shift in no ad and you know i'm a doubles enthusiast but i happen to think those matches are incredibly entertaining so why mm-hmm. not just make it uniform across too um but it, no it, it's an interesting debate i do want one more thing about the next stem finals uh no alleys on the court. What did you think? Aesthetically, because to a fan, it looked like you guys were moving even better. I saw Chor drift some backhands down the line and it looked like his opponents were just done because you you know your new step perception wise, you have the alley as your buffer and you can kind of see, okay, curving back in. Um but no when you would get those four balls, it was it was amazing because it looked like you're covering the entire court. It just made it makes you guys look bigger in comparison to the court, and therefore, I don't know, I think it shows off. Your yeah, no, that's, I,
1: I, I have to say I had not thought of that, and I actually have not heard that yet. So I, kudos to you for, for pointing that out. <laughs> so, so here's what I can speak to. I personally don't think it really matters one way or the other. Um, I would, I guess, prefer to keep the doubles alley, but if it makes me look faster or cooler or whatever, then maybe we can revisit that conversation. But but look, I think that um, it, I I kind of attribute it to the NCAA Final Four where they play in uh, in a football stadium, and they talk about how the the three pointer the, the percentages go down by I don't know exactly, but I think they that's an average of twenty nine percent, and I don't know what the average is otherwise. But they said it's because they lack the the depth perception, so to speak, in, and it hurts their performance.
2: Yeah, I mean the performing. the layout is
1: a com- like throws off you know the players preparation. They're not used
0: to that at all. Not so much in the acoustics. I mean the acoustics are completely thrown off in that atmosphere
1: too. But yeah, totally. So that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I, I, I thought about it. You know what my probably my normal points of reference were maybe a little bit off, but I don't look. I I think that the tour could go with no doubles
2: alleys and not be that hu- huge of a difference. You know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and again, I don't know if you have much free time, but if you're on YouTube later, look up like the 88, or not 88, like 92 final, Stanford Slendel, and they had some no alley sports back then. they looked pretty sexy, if I do say so. Um, Yeah, no. So,
1: I mean, I think that if it adds an aesthetically appealing look to it, I think that that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, But
2: I guess, you know, sticking on the theme of YouTube, uh, as a tennis player, I think one of the underappreciated aspects, people don't realize you have a lot of free time, you know, when you're not playing your best, you're off the court. Uh, you know, in our sure. next gen series, we did a lot of research and I saw you, you know, you, you like to dabble in the video game field. Uh, give me your three video games of choice.
1: My three. Um, well, well, I'll say that, uh, league of legends. I was addicted to for a very long time. um, Oh, it's doubt. a classic. Yeah, it's a classic. So League, <laughs> obviously, um, and then um, well, back in the day, I used to play Halo. Call Modern, Call of Duty: Modern Warfare Two is still one of the greatest oh, games of all time. Halo, Halo Three, uh, Halo Three was my favorite game, but obviously, MW Two was a, was a classic. Recently, I've started playing Fortnite with my friends, but. Um, which is just blowing up right now. I mean, you can't even get on this. The, the servers are busted, so we need to fix the servers and Fortnite. Whatever whatever company owns that, can we fix the servers, please? <laughs> I had a lot of out to mean, Please. Yeah, shout out to Fortnite, to Fortnite developers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I think we
2: just found out your new sponsor. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, <laughs> yeah so that the but, next world of warcraft commercial can be you and kate upton just on the screen playing yeah there, there you go um, <laughs> i never was a big world of warcraft player
1: but i know jan michael gamble plays and taylor yeah. Ben used to play oh, well, yeah. shout out to them oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah I shout out to jan michael and taylor and in world of warcraft <laughs> hey jared we want to be cognizant of your time uh you've given us a lot of it already but this
0: will be the last question and then we'll just do a quick rapid fire um
1: segment if you don't mind but sure What what's your prediction you know give us a, a couple sentences of your pregi- prediction of 2018 um don't be humble we want no, so so i guess one of the things that hopefully you know people notice it i think well first of first and foremost i hope people notice a change in my game um and i think that's the biggest compliment you can pay a tennis player is that you notice that they they've worked on stuff and they're trying to get better right so for me, I hope that people see and, and notice that I've put in good work during the off season and that I'm playing good tennis, right. Or not even good tennis, but that I've worked on my game. And I'm trying to change things and improve. I think that's, you know, what I hope that people see. Uh, I think they will. And then secondly, you know, I just want to keep improving on my game to keep learning because, you know, I still feel that I have a long way to go. I'm only 21. There's a lot of things that I, that, that I could work on and continue to work on and, and um that's kind of my prediction you know i just hope that i keep improving and you know i know that uh, a lot of people like to get caught up in the in the ranking in the rankings thing and certainly players and obviously i'm no different you know i want to be number one in the world if we when we talk again next year you know looking into 2019 but i think that the way to get there is to keep working on your game not uh certainly well, certainly so i was
2: gonna say if i could add a third thing also don't forget incorporating the serve and volley we want to see okay serve and volley. okay okay <laughs> i will throw the serve, serve and volley out there and then just like do a little ag in the air so i know you did it for me and i'll see the I will. And I'll <laughs> I will. well we're, we're going to move over to the rapid fire segment
1: um, essentially it's going to be 10 questions. You're going to provide one word answer, uh, here in rapid succession. So you're ready to rock.
2: I'm ready. And my hint, I give to all of you guys, the answer is smell. Just trust me. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Well, here we go. Jared, uh, favorite tennis player,
2: uh, Federer.
1: Uh, favorite drink on the court. Gatorade.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: favorite, favorite meal off the court. Sushi. If you were to there take we away think. any stroke in tennis, which would it be? Oh, man, that's, that's actually really tough. Uh, the, simple, the, the slice. The slice. <laughs> no, I like a slice. <laughs> uh, favorite song or artist right now? Favorite song or artist. Um, I've been listening to The Pretender a lot by, I don't know if this is my favorite song, but I'll just, The Pretender by Jackson Brown. Or Running on Empty. We'll say Running on Empty. Two and plugs there. Think, uh, uh, Favorite tennis court surface: Hardcourt. Favorite city in the world: Irvine, California. Favorite athlete, non-tennis related: Oof, difficult. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Your favorite thing about a fresh can of tennis balls is: besides the smell, that they that they that it's going to be fast. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jared. We really appreciate you taking the time. Hey god I really appreciate that. that was a lot of fun and uh, hopefully hopefully we do it again soon take care and good luck all right thank you bye bye so
0: trouble to he so well, let you feel Thanks for listening to Gruskin and I's conversation with Jared Donaldson. Jared made an improbable jump into the top 50 in 2017. And uh, we're all so excited to see where 2018 takes him. He, he, uh, as you all just heard, he reassured us that he's added a few tools to the uh, toolkit and a couple uh, new weapons to his game in preparation for next season. So best of luck to Jared in 2018. Uh, we'll definitely be watching. Um, but also a major shout out to the magician, our producer, and the one and only Daniel Westoff. He works his magic to make us sound smart around here. So big shout out to Westoff. And as I mentioned earlier, we have a few big interviews on the horizon. Uh, Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, and I promise, I promise, we still have Blue Chip Senior Axel Neve, Blue Chip Junior Jensen Brooksby, and we've also had. Oklahoma commit Mason Byler coming for you so stay tuned Uh, those are on the horizon and we are relentless honestly we do all of this for all you tennis fans out there that are eager and hungry for tennis coverage and we can't thank you enough for your support we appreciate everything you do for us in the meantime go subscribe to the cracked interviews podcast as well as the great shot podcast on itunes Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and go like the Facebook page. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. It's very, very essential uh, that you do that. We are also now on Stitcher Radio google play and player fm for those android users out there so check us out on there and i know most of you are doing this already but over the holiday season tell your friends or family members about us and spread the good word about cracked rackets you know we couldn't do it without your support but i will leave you for now as always, it's not goodbye, it's I'll see you next time, Crack Fans. So we'll see you next week. The that kill, you will powerful. You will be but you will be You will but you will You will but you will a pleasure. Oh,